Hi, and welcome to the Circle of Film podcast. I'm Ryan, and join me as we step into the February scavenger hunt review episode. What's this? What's this? It's super califragilistic, expialidocious. What is this? A whole new world. What is this? Thanks for tuning in. Uh, you know, the February actually went pretty well. You know, it's a week early, uh, and I'm already finished with all the films, so I'll be able to kind of knock out some just random BS uh, for the rest of the month as uh, the Oscars come up this weekend, and, you know, that whole shebang kind of rolls over. And the first thing I want to say is, I, I remember in the preview episode claiming that Daisies would be the film that I rated, I, I w- that was the best from this month's batch. I can unequivocally say now that it is not. It is not in the top 10 either. Uh, I grossly misinterpreted exactly what that film was going to be. And for that, uh, you know, I only have myself to blame. So, yeah, no daisies. Didn't, not, it's not bad. Uh, I mean, I guess it doesn't really, it's not going to come up really. So I guess I'll just kind of mention it briefly. Uh, I gave it a 62, which considering that 62 doesn't make the top 10, that's kind of an incredible feat. Uh, this, this month was actually incredibly strong. Uh, the strongest month that I think, Definitely since I started recording episodes regarding the scavenger hunts, but perhaps even going back further than that. Uh, so really, uh, really happy with how this month turned out as far as the films that I watched. So without any further ado, let's jump in to the top 10. Number 10, with a score of 71. That's right, the top 10 is above a score of 70, the entire section. Uh, And uh, this month's number 10 is Malcolm X. Uh, Malcolm X is yet another Spike Lee film uh, that I've seen during these scavenger hunts. This is, I believe... The fourth or fifth one, I think the fourth one since I started recording episodes, uh, maybe more of them though than that, going back further. Uh, Let's see, Do the Right Thing, Malcolm X, Jungle Fever, just three? Am I missing one? No, I guess just three. So Do the Right Thing, Malcolm X, Jungle Fever, and uh, while Do the Right Thing was, in my opinion, uh, fantastic, uh, you know, you know, uh, Jungle Fever. I thought was pretty meh, uh, quite meh, actually. But Malcolm X uh, really brought things back up. You know, it's an incredibly long film, uh, more than more than three hours, uh, starring Denzel Washington, 
Angela Bassett, Albert Hall, Delroy Lindo, Spike Lee, Theresa Randall, Kate Vernon, Al Freeman Jr., Christopher Plummer, Peter Boyle, Karen Allen, Debbie Mazar, uh, Giancarlo Esposito, Wendell Pierce, a lot of names, um, a lot of frequent collaborators with Spike Lee, and you know, it just kind of chronicles his life uh, from his time as kind of a kid on the streets to being imprisoned to joining the Muslim Brotherhood uh, until, you know, rising up as a black nationalist leader and then uh, taking the journey to Mecca and then, you know, his relationship with Martin Luther King Jr. and ultimately uh, ending in his assassination. And while I do think that the film's long and, you know, I think... I think it probably could have been done in two and a half hours. It did. I don't think it needed three and twenty. Uh, so maybe not two and a half. I, I think like half an hour could have been cut off of it. But it's still it's very very expansive. And I'm not. I, I didn't really know much about Malcolm X prior to this this film. You know, he's not really a char- uh, character. He's not really. A person that gets taught very much in schools and this really opened my eyes to a lot of different angles of him you know I kind of had always gotten the impression that he was the violent Martin Luther King Jr. I don't think that that's terribly inaccurate but is a very reductive uh, impression of this man who is far more important than that sort of brief summary gives him credit for and, you know, Denzel Washington plays a fantastic Malcolm X uh, through each stage of, of his life. And I, I was very impressed. I do, you know, I think that the, the recognition and the awards that he received for that role are, are more than well-founded. And, you know, it, it, really do, it really did me a lot of good to kind of see him in this role, you know, considering how much buzz and talk he's getting for his role in Fences as he's expected to, or at least he's one of the two front runners to win Best Actor uh, this year again. So, uh, you know, I think I really liked it. Malcolm X is a good film. Very good film. Uh, 71. Number 10. Malcolm X. Number 9 with a 73. Uh, this is uh, the 1985 film uh, Clue, colon, the movie, uh, starring Eileen Brennan, Tim Curry, Madeline Kahn, Christopher Lloyd, Michael McKean, Martin Mull, Leslie Ann Warren, Colleen Camp, Lee Ving, etc. You know, um, and uh, I liked it a lot. Uh, you know, Tim Curry is fantastic as as the main character, lead role, host, whatever you want to call him. And the supporting cast are all brilliant. I think I, I really enjoyed it. Had a lot of fun watching this movie. It cracked me up from beginning to end. Uh, my my favorite moment is uh, I can't. I don't remember which character said it. I think it was Michael McKean. 
who peeks back into the study and uh, casually remarks, just two corpses, everything's fine, <laughs> as if two dead bodies is the most natural thing in the world. And I, I don't pull off his nonchalance as well as he does. Of course, I'm not in that particular circumstance, so it's a little different. But he, uh, <laughs> I just, I, I, I love that. I love that scene. Uh, as I, as I remarked in the preview uh, regarding multiple endings to this film, I don't know if it, the version I watched is exactly how it played out when it was released. 20, 30 years ago, but I saw three different endings, and the first ending, they said, that's how it could have happened, and then they did a second ending, and then they said, that's another way it could have gone, but what really happened was, and then there was a third ending, and that's kind of how it ended up actually being, and, uh, you know, without going into any spoilers as to, you know, the who actually done it, I, I did like the third ending decision best uh i i like the the one that they actually end the film with i think that was the best one but i i do appreciate the idea that like well it could have been this or it could have been this and you know we kind of wrote it in such a way that we had the flexibility to give the uh you know actual murder to whoever we wanted and you know i i i I admire that skill and uh technicality within it so clue 73 big fan number nine from february's scavenger hunt number eight uh with a rating of 75 the 2006 film from sydney lumet Find Me Guilty, starring Vin Diesel and a bunch of small side actors, uh, probably most most uh, recognizable at this moment is Peter Dinklage, and uh, yeah, this is the best role that Vin Diesel has ever performed. He is brilliant as Jack DeNorcio. And really just captures the screen every time he's on it. And the roller coaster of emotions that he goes through, you know, the character changes and evolves throughout the course of this criminal trial. And I think that it's a very interesting story. Uh, You know, it's not, you know, obviously, you know, I don't think it's perfect. But... really threw me off you know i i saw the poster it's diesel sitting in a chair in a prison cell door opened i didn't really know what to expect i didn't know what the film was about i hadn't read a summary or heard anything about it i just kind of took it at face value and it's pretty much a legal a courtroom drama which is fine you know i i'm not against those sort of films i i tend to enjoy them for the most part uh, and this one was just a really fun take on that genre, you know, based on real events, which makes it even more ridiculous. Uh, the dialogue for Vin Diesel, I don't know how much of that is pulled directly from transcripts from the actual court case, but he he delivers those lines beautifully 
whether it's, you know, berating uh, a witness on the stand or, you know, cracking jokes with his buddies. You know, he, he just, he embodies this persona so, so very well. And, uh, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't not like the movie. Uh, and so that's Find Me Guilty, a 75, number 8 in the February top 10. Coming in at number 7 is the 1923 film Safety Last! Exclamation point. Uh, this is a silent film, very old film, very revered and uh, important film to most people. Uh, you know, it has a very high 4.1 on Letterboxd, which is great. And it, it's, it's a very simple film, but it, it's filled with plethora of visual and physical gags and stunts that uh you know are would have been impressive today and are very impressive uh 90 some years ago you know harold lloyd this is the first film i've seen him in and i think he does a fantastic job really just commanding the screen and the cl- the the climb up the side of the building to the clock is you know, nothing short of brilliant. Uh, there's, in fact, there's a scene earlier in the film where he and a, like his roommate are, are in their apartment and, you know, they hear like the landlord coming. And so they both like put on their jackets and then like, I don't know how like they do it. It doesn't even look physically possible, but they end up like curling under their coats and hanging on coat hangers in such a way that you can't tell that they're there. You know, they just look like a big coat hanging on a coat hanger. Uh, I don't, I don't know how they had coat hangers that were strong enough to hold them up, or how they were able to hold their bodies like that for so long. It's just kind of insane. Uh, you know, it's it's a very fun film. You know, kind of makes you realize that films from this age, this era, are are still incredibly poignant. Still have a lot to offer. And I, I'm very much grateful for this film for doing that. And so that's Safety Last, number seven, with a 77. Uh, yeah, I, I really liked it. Coming in at number six this month is the first film I watched uh, in this month's scavenger hunt. And that is, with a 78, A Few Good Men. This is a very iconic film starring Tom Cruise, Demi Moore, and Jack Nicholson, uh, featuring the famous "You can't handle the truth" scene from Jack Nicholson. I don't do impressions, sorry. Mostly, for the most part, uh, but you know, it's you know another. While definitely not as courtroom heavy as "Find Me Guilty," it certainly has a significant portion of the film transpiring in a courtroom and preparing to be in a courtroom which I loved I I think you know my my favorite courtroom film uh, of all time is Runaway Jury and while that film is far less about the actual arguments taking place and more about the machinations going on behind the scenes I, I really enjoyed the way that A Few Good Men approaches sort of the the determining the lines of questioning and figuring out how to uh, sort of break open the the trial in a sense of 
getting the judge to and, and jury to really listen to what they have to say about, you know, what transpired and what they're claiming took place. And I found that incredibly intriguing. And it, uh, you know, there are times where it kind of gets a little hammy. That's definitely for sure. But, uh, you know, I think Tom Cruise does a ton of great work in this. Jack Nicholson is incredibly impressive despite the limited screen time he has. Uh, Whereas, you know, Demi Moore I felt was very uh, underutilized. But Kevin Bacon, uh, also in this film, does a good job as the prosecutor. Uh, You know, I I found it to be very engrossing. Very engrossing. That's number six, A Few Good Men, 78. Moving on to number five, perhaps the most controversial film that I watched this month for The Scavenger Hunt, with a score of 83, tied, actually, with number four this month with 83, but... Uh, loses in the Rotten Tomatoes tiebreakers is the 1995 film Kids. Uh, Kids, as I sort of uh, offhandedly described it as the Rent movie that doesn't have any singing in it, is far more emotionally powerful than that. It it you know starring Rosario Dawson, Chloe Sevigny. Uh, and others who didn't really go on to do much else, this is a film that will really fuck with you. It's, um, man, it, you know, we follow this kid, Telly, who just goes around fucking virgins and giving them AIDS, basically. Uh, It's kind of awful. And the final... I don't think it's the exact last scene, but, I mean, if you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. The final, like, big kind of miserably, miserable to watch, but, like, the camera never turns away sequence is is so shitty. It's so fucking awful. And the whole time you're watching it, you just, you hate watching it. And... The worst part is, like, it's not really, it's not entirely these these kids' faults, you know? Like, yeah, they're fucking stupid, and they're doing things that they really shouldn't, and that they should definitely know better not to, but they don't know. They don't know better, because no one's fucking teaching them a damn thing, not in schools, not from their parents, not from anywhere, and that sucks, you know? It's just kind of a spiral of... Of, of misery and and illegal actions taking place. You know, whether it is rape, whether it is the unknowing transmission of sexual diseases, whether it is beating up a, a, a person just because they have a different skin color than yours, you know, and leaving them for dead. It's, it's there's a lot of, a lot of disturbing but powerful stuff in this movie. Uh, you know, it's it's an incredibly difficult watch, but it's definitely one that will stick with you and really test your uh, 
worldview in a sense. Uh, it'll really push your lit buttons and, and see just how well you can, you know, remain consistent. And I, I, th I think, you know, you have to go into this with an open mind. You know, whatever your preconceived notions are of any of the things that I've already mentioned regarding this film, I, I don't think you're going to get enough out of this movie if you don't allow yourself the opportunity to approach this movie from both sides. You know, like, yeah, rape is wrong. No one should rape anybody else. I think that's very obvious, and I think that's incredibly straightforward. However, you know, and I, I'm in no way defending the actions that took place here. I'm just saying that the, the reason that they're happening is, is not entirely on the shoulders of the person committing the actions. It is far more systemic than that. It is far more rooted in society than that. And like this movie came out 20 years ago and uh, you know, some things have changed, but like not a lot of them and most of them not enough. And that's, you know, that's something that really, really hits home about this movie. I loved this movie. I'm not ashamed to say that, and I, I think that it's a very important film. That's Kids, number five, and 83. Whew, man. Uh, huh. Number four. Let's get it. Let's lighten the mood a little bit after that one. Also with an 83, but with a better Rotten Tomatoes score, is last year's film from 2016, uh, I believe it is from Portugal. No, it's from it's in Portuguese. It's from Brazil slash France. Uh, it takes place in Brazil, and uh, it is Aquarius. Uh, Aquarius tells the story of Clara, played by Sonia Braga. Yes, Sonia Braga, who is a 65-year-old widow, retired music critic, and is the last living person in this apartment complex. There's a company trying to take over the land and do whatever the God knows what with it. And this woman says, I don't want to leave. I like living here. I'm going to stay. And that's the movie. That's two hours and 20 minutes of the movie is her, is these people saying, hey, you got to, we need you to move out. We want this place. And her saying no. And as boring as that may feel uh, on the surface and Admittedly, there are moments and times where the length of the film does kind of drag a bit. Uh, you know, there's, you know, Sonia Braga's performance is captivating. She is powerful as this matronly woman. Um, she is sexy. She is just completely unshaken by the. Uh, the 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 attitudes of these younger like guys that are trying to like force her out of this apartment, and then you know the the finale I loved. I thought it was a perfect climax. You know, this is a very low stakes movie. You know, 
no one's lives in danger. The world's not being held up by a supervillain. You know, we don't need uh, the Avengers to save the day. You know, it's not like there are people threatening to rape her and abuse her. You know, it's just like, hey, can't you move? And she's like, I don't want to. Like, those are pretty low stakes. But the film does a great job of making those low stakes matter. Um, and, you know, she's a retired music critic. So there's a lot of, like, great, iconic sort of 70s, 80s music in this movie. Which I found to be great, like, super nostalgia-inducing. And, like, I never, I wasn't even alive during that time to listen to that, those songs when they came out. But they're just so ingrained in the culture in this day and age. You know, you hear these songs, um, you know, Another One Bites the Dust. Oh, man, it's brilliant. It's so fucking great. What an amazing song. And this movie has a ton of those. So I, I, I loved it. I thought it was a great movie. It's Aquarius and 83, number four. Moving on to number three, which was the second film uh, that I watched this month. And uh, so, you know, I really started out um, very, very high on this list. Uh, This is actually a James uh, top 200 film. And it actually ranks as his 25th film overall. I gave it an 85. It's a film from 2009, and that is Triangle. Triangle stars Melissa George, Liam Hemsworth, and a couple of other people who haven't really made a name for themselves. Directed by Christopher Smith, and it is a wonky time travel movie. Travel being suspect. Uh, it's, it's more about... Uh, it's not really a time travel movie. The characters aren't actively traveling in time. It is simply Melissa George's character stuck in a time loop, essentially. And on the surface level of this movie, it's incredibly confusing. Uh, It takes a while to really clue in that it's really not actually a loop. It's more of a helix, like a double helix in a sense, that... There's two patterns kind of going at the same time. Even like trying to explain it is incredibly difficult. But uh, I, I loved the attention to detail. You know, it is reminiscent of some of my favorite movies, Coherence, uh, Primer, to name a few. And while I personally don't think it it ranks quite as high as those, I I thought that this was a fantastic version of that type of film. You know, it's not repeating what those films are doing. It it definitely has its own uh, joie de vie, uh, in a sense. And you get a very good performance from Melissa George. Not great, but good. And all of the connections and tiny pieces and strands that, like, you pick up on throughout the film, everything pays off. And 
when you realize that the film is actually, you know, a huge, huge allegory and uh, representation of sort of Greek mythology, which I don't think the film really hides from you, but it is not terribly difficult to like kind of miss it on the first watch. You know, you really you can clue into stuff even easier under that scope of, of recognition. Uh, you know, it's it's a moving movie that really can't... Like, I didn't know anything about it. If you listen back to me, like, talking about it on the preview, I literally just described the uh, poster. And when I turned the movie on, knowing that it satisfied the category of watching the same scene, uh, events take place multiple times... I didn't know what that meant for this movie, and so I was incredibly pleased uh, with the with the result. So that's Triangle, an eighty-five, and number three for the month. Number two for this month also uh, at eighty-five. At eighty-five, also. A Cinerealist Top 200 film. This not this time it's Zach's number 27. That is Full Metal Jacket. Uh, Full Metal Jacket is one of the last films that I watched uh, for this scavenger hunt. And man, you know you, you know I must have seen clips of Arlie Ermy from this film over and over and over again. And you know his role as the incredibly stern and deprecate uh, deprecating um, sergeant is is legendary you know like this is a very iconic film from Stanley Kubrick of all people that I think the first half is nearly perfect as perfect as a film can really be which is a shame because it's not that the second half is bad, you know, it's still quite good, and it's a testament to Kubrick that, you know, quite good material from him can drag one of his own films down. If 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 the second half had stuck to, and, and it, you know, it didn't need to be an extension of the first half of the movie, but if it had been as engrossing as the first half of the movie, it could have easily been a film that entered my top 100. You know, I, I think that that's a very easy statement to make. Unfortunately, uh, it did drop uh, quite a few points um, once D'Onofrio and Arlie Ermey's characters kind of left this movie. And while I do, I do enjoy the second half of the movie, it is still very interesting. It's still a unique take on the war genre, and I like Matthew Modine's character. I think Joker's an interesting uh, window into war and its effect on, on human beings. It did leave me wanting a little bit more in the second half. Uh, but all in all, a great film. Like, uh, you know, definitely worthy of the praise that it gets. You know, even though I don't find it to be as great and, and you know I'm not going to put it in my top 10 or 100 anytime soon ever actually since I, I know that for sure it's definitely a film that 
deserves the praise. And that in and of itself is is a thing to behold. So that's Full Metal Jacket number two with a eighty with an eighty-five. And drum roll please for number one. Dog Day Afternoon with an 86. Uh, this is also a film from the Cinefrealist Top 200. Uh, it lands at number 148 on James's Top 200. Uh, I give it an 86, and I think, you know, it was another one of the, like, early films. Uh, I actually, I started watching Swordfish, and Travolta's opening monologue in Swordfish references Dog Day Afternoon. And so I was really worried that he was going to like spoil the movie. And so I shut that off and put on Dog Day Afternoon instead. And man, I'm so glad I did. Swordfish is awful. Dog Day Afternoon is incredible. Um, yeah, it's only one point ahead of Triangle and uh, Full Metal Jacket. But it earns that fucking point, you know. It, Al Pacino is brilliant in this movie. He is just completely on fire, you know, and I've seen a lot of really bad Pacino movies lately. This was a huge breath of fresh air. You know, he is a homosexual character, and that is an issue that comes to the forefront of this film, and I love that. I'm so happy about that. I wish we had more of that. I'm so so impressed with Sidney Lumet, who has two films in the top ten this month. And I just, uh, you know, I, I completely adore this movie. It's, you know, it's a heist movie, which I love. I'm a huge fan of those movies. Uh, you know, you've got Charles Durning as kind of the interpreter slash... Uh, uh, guy trying to make sure everyone gets out safe and you know he does a great job in that role and just the characters all felt so lived in like they really existed they were really there it was all happening to them you know it's you know that like unlike a film like inside man where none of the characters feel real and like that's a far different like type of movie but it's in the same genre and and both movies i think are great and they do things very differently and i just man as someone who absolutely loves a character study loves you know i'm I'm, quote a writer but I, i i i just i i love the idea of just exploring a character up as far as you can go, just diving in deeper and deeper until you finally bump the bottom of that well. And I think that this is a film that really does that. We learn so much, so much about Pacino's, um, oh, what's the character name? Sonny. We learn so much about Sonny. You know, he's, he's not a bad guy. He doesn't need a ton of money. He just... Things just spiral out of control, but he's he's so well put together that he can like, for the most part, contain all the problems that are going on. You know, he and John Gonzalez, 
you know, are, are just kind of in over their heads, but they, they figure it out. They, for the most part, they make it work and, you know, no spoilers. I won't let you know how it ends. I, I like the ending. Uh, the biggest drawback of the film for me is there's this like 10 minute monologue that they give to Chris Sarandon. And I like Chris Sarandon, but it, it really fucked up the pacing of the movie. And I, I think it's very jarring in a way that I don't know that it was intended to be. So yeah, that kind of threw me for a while. Uh, so that that was the biggest negative, in my opinion. But Dog Day Afternoon, fantastic. Fantastic. Uh, yeah, so Dog Day Afternoon, my number one for this month. Uh, I'll run up the top ten again real quick. Malcolm X at number ten. Clue at number nine. Find Me Guilty, number eight. Safety Last, number seven. A Few Good Men, number six. Kids, number five. Aquarius, number four. Triangle, number three, Full Metal Jacket, number two, and Dog Day Afternoon, number one. And now, let us move into the superlatives. Uh, There's no The Kid on a Bike this month. You know, we've got a very hotly contested uh, month here for most of these categories. And uh, so let's, let's get into this, shall we? Uh, biggest surprise. Uh, this is one of the least uh, exciting ones. You know, all, you know, a lot of good films that I watched this month, but for the most part, I, I kind of all expected them all to be the good ones to be good. You know, I knew the reputations of movies like Full Metal Jacket, Dog Day Afternoon, A Few Good Men. Uh, you know. I've heard whispers about the movie, about kids. I, I expected Clue to be a lot of fun, you know, Malcolm X, uh, Safety Last. You know, these, a lot of these are iconic films that are, are sort of con- contained within the oeuvre of, of classic cinema. But the movie that really jumped out at me, it was a film I didn't see coming as far as making the top ten, let alone the top five. That is Triangle. Triangle was my biggest surprise this month. And not just on the fact that it was a very good film, but just like the the way that it was told and the subject matter of it completely shocked me. You know, that's that's the benefit you have of watching a movie without like analyzing every frame of a trailer. And so Triangle is my biggest surprise this month. On the other hand, biggest disappointment. There were a couple of those. Um, let's see. Porky's uh, was kind of disappointing. Uh, not that I expected it to be a good movie, but I thought it would be enjoyable. It really wasn't. Uh, Beneath the Planet of the Apes, uh, as expect, kind of as expected, was worse, significantly worse than the first uh, film. 99 Homes was not the tour de force that I really expected it to be. Winter Light is, you know, is Bergman, but I I definitely didn't latch onto it in the way that I have previously with some of his other films. Uh, And and like I mentioned, Daisies, I expected to be very high on this list, and it just wasn't. 
But the biggest disappointment for me is Richard Linklater's Suburbia. Uh, this is the second bad Linklater film I've seen uh, alongside Bad News Bears. And I was really disappointed, you know. It didn't have Linklater's like incredibly well-written dialogue. It looked like shit in my opinion. I don't know if that was my just my copy of the film. But I, I was really disappointed in this movie. You know, I gave it a 38. You know, maybe that's a little high given my reaction to the movie. It's not the worst thing ever by any stretch, but it was definitely a big step down from what I'm used to seeing out of Link later. And I'm, I'm very disappointed by that. Worst film, I just mentioned it not too long ago. That's Porky's. I gave Porky's a one, man. It... I keep watching all these older, like, teen comedy, raunchy comedy movies, and they just seem to be increasingly more rapey. Porky's is incredibly rapey and terrible, and I didn't laugh once during the whole thing. Uh, it's very frustrating, an incredible slog to get through. I uh, was did not enjoy it one bit. Funniest film... Uh, we go back to our top 10 for this one. Very, very close. You know, Safety Last is is hilarious. Find Me Guilty is very funny. Clue is quite funny. Uh, looking outside of the top 10, you know, we had um, Beginners, quite, quite clever and humorous. But and ultimately, I had to give it to Clue. I, I just could not deny the Tim Curry of it all. He is hilarious, and just the way that he commands that movie is beautiful to see. And so Clue is the funniest film this month. Most powerful film. This went through a couple different uh, films. Uh, you know, Dog Day Afternoon had it for a while kids definitely had it for a while uh you know safety last just by virtue of of the age of that film had it for a few few moments malcolm x for a while but it ultimately settled on full metal jacket i don't know how it couldn't it just the first half of the movie alone is more powerful than the rest of these and the second half of the movie just kind of adds the cherry on top. That sniper scene is incredibly tense. And this is film is making a big statement about war and the effect that it has on on young males specifically. And uh, that's not an easy message to dismiss. Uh, so definitely most powerful film, Full Metal Jacket. Most forgettable film. One I haven't mentioned yet. That's Gas Food Lodging. Pretty much left no imprint on me. I gave it a 44. But I don't. I remember that the poster has two women on the front of it. And that's about it. I don't know what else to say. Most entertaining film. And it does feel like often that the funniest and most entertaining films seem to kind of do battle. Uh, this kind of feels like my version of 
sort of splitting up the sound categories at the Oscars in a way. But, you know, it, it is a different, there is a distinction to, to be made. And for me, most entertaining film this month was Find Me Guilty. Uh, you know, I just, I loved Vin Diesel's performance. I thought it was just so over the top, but like so restrained and so absurd. It, it just works on every level. And I, I was really just... I was just really engrossed the entire time watching this movie. And that's kind of what it's all about. What movie held you in rapt attention, made you smile, made you forget about everything else? But in a more in a more entertaining and not necessarily depressing, dramatic fashion. That's kind of what that category is looking for. Find me guilty. And the big three. Best performance... This one, man, I, I've talked about a lot of great performances this this month, uh, from Sonia Braga to Vin Diesel, uh, Tom Cruise, Jack Nicholson, Harold Lloyd, Denzel Washington, Tim Curry. You know, all of these guys could have been potential. You know, Vincent D'Onofrio, Arlie Ermey. You know, how do you not pick any of them? And I, I, I couldn't because I had to go with Al Pacino in Dog Day Afternoon. I just I just think he was a cut above everybody else this month. Sonny is the most authentic character that I've seen on the screen uh, in, in quite some time. And I completely stand by that. Best Direction. And here we will have our first... Uh, multiple superlative winner for this month and uh you know spike lee uh, a previous winner of this award but it had to go to sydney lumet for dog day afternoon you know kubrick came so close it was a very tight uh decision between the two of them but sydney lumet and dog day afternoon i just adored uh, i think the shots are perfect uh the way he really opens up the film and and really lets the actors breathe and and give the best performance that they have in them is perfect the the sequence in the finale and like the subtle clues in the filming techniques i I just i i completely admire it i think it's i think it's wonderful and finally Best scene, and here's a film that I have not even mentioned once uh, yet in this episode. You know, we're 47 minutes in, uh, and this is a scene where uh, it's from Red Belt, which is another Cinerealist Top 200 film. Uh, the scene, though, uh, I describe it as the knife scene. It, it comes fairly early in the film, so I don't, I don't feel like I'm giving away too much of it it's a very shocking scene and ultimately what's happening is you have emily mortimer who has just 
told Chowetel Ejiofor that uh, she was, you know, raped and uh, and sexually assaulted uh, with a gun to her throat. And she's, like, she's there to learn self-defense. She wants to be able to, like, stop that kind of thing from happening. And, you know, she has her first lesson and she kind of realizes, well, okay, you can't really stop that, you know, like there's a knife in my throat, like, what am I supposed to do? And so she's walking away from Ejiofor. He gets this look on his face. You know, he grabs, like, a play knife, approaches her from behind, wraps her in his arms, holds this fake knife to her throat. It's it's incredibly shocking and very dramatic, uh, you know. But you can see, you can see both of their faces clearly, and you can tell that this isn't, you know, there's no malicious intent here. This is purely Ejifor trying to instruct his pupil. Uh, and he's tr- he tried it a different way. It didn't work out. And as traumatic and awful an experience this must be for Mortimer's character, this is, it's going to work. And so he's wrapped her up in this. She's struggling against him. She doesn't even if she consciously is aware that it's not a real attack, that he's not actually threatening her life, you can see in her eyes that she is petrified by by the circumstances. And the whole time he's like he's calmly telling her what she needs to do to get out of this scenario. You know, pull my arm. You know, stab me in the chest. Like slot, slip under my shoulder and like behind me you know he he's able to maneuver her into a position where she can escape this attack and it it just it triggers something in her i i think that's a brilliant way you know this isn't something that you would really expect from edgy force character and yet as he's doing it it feels very real and and very uh, visceral in that sense uh, it's it's incredibly incredibly damaging or well incredibly potentially damaging to like Emily Mortimer's psyche and yet you can tell that she's in- very thankful that he's done this because it did like kind of tell show her that she there is kind of always a way like he's telling her like there's always a way out there's always a way to get the better of someone else in in a this type of a scenario and so that's the knife scene from red belt the last of the superlatives this has been the february scavenger hunt review thank you all for listening tune in next time to the march preview episode uh can't wait for this month don't have the Oscars to sort of put a uh, feel like a, a monkey on my back the whole month again. So I'll feel a lot better about it going forward. Uh, as always, find any old episodes, uh, look at past superlative winners uh, at the at circleoffilm.com. You can see the winners of the Circle of Film Awards. On the, web, on the website as well. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, or answers, 
send them to circleoffilm at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. I really appreciate it. And as always, have a week. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Oh.